Welcome to the CBA Grain Exchange Podcast. This is your host, Luke Beckman, Grain Sales Manager for Central Valley Ag. During this podcast, we dissect the latest USDA updates and discuss other key market features. Every month, you will hear from different members of the CBA Grain Team on what trends we are seeing in the marketplace and solutions to current marketing challenges. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 43 of the CVA Grain Exchange. We are joined by Eddie Connor with RJ O'Brien today. Eddie, good to have you back. It's good to be back on a crazy day going into the weekend. Yeah, 4th of July, uh, just around the corner, and the June 30th reports did not disappoint. We've got some fireworks today, uh, kind of both directions, really, with with some of the numbers that we saw today. So we're going to get into that. Eddie uh, was with us at the March 30th Perspective Plannings Report and quarterly stocks data at that time. So kind of good to have you back for this planted acreage report, because that's really the, you know, those two reports really guide us on, uh, you know, what we think we're going to plant and then uh, a hard survey on what we actually planted. Uh, So good to have you back, Eddie. Let's just get right into it. But um, before we get into acres, I want to talk stocks report. This is one of the four times per year that we get an update on grain stocks, that stocks in all positions, both on farm and in commercial facilities and in transit. So I uh, saw those numbers updated today. Not a lot of surprises there. We did see corn and soybean stocks come in a little bit lighter than the pre-report estimates. Uh, corn as of June 1st, 4.1 billion bushels compared to an average estimate of 4.25 coming in. Soybeans, just under 800 million bushels in all positions, 796 million bushels compared to a pre-report estimate of 812 million bushels. If we look at this, uh, corn stocks down 5.6% compared to the same time a year ago. And more of those bushels of what we have left are in farmer hands. Uh, on-farm stocks up 4.7% compared to a year ago. And then your off-farm or your commercial stocks are down 15.4% compared to a year ago. When we look at uh, soybean stocks, kind of the same analysis year over year, bean stocks down almost 18%, commercial stocks down close to 26% year over year, and on-farm stocks down just 2.6%. So those were kind of the highlights on the grain stocks data. Eddie, what sticks out to you when you look through the numbers? Well, I I think that the market, especially the corn market, was leaning towards the possibility of stocks being a little bit, even though the estimate was close to the um, USDA number. I don't know how many times I hear this from hedge funds and, you know, guys that are trading as well as cash guys that, you know, we really haven't had any meaningful exports this year of U.S. corn, but yet we're we're talking, and I'm talking about to China, and we're talking about corn use for ethanol, you know, not really hitting the mark every week here and maybe needing to, to that stocks were gonna loosen up, Luke, and to be some 200 million plus below where we were, were a year ago, while we're right in the middle of the critical, going into the r- critical part of the growing season, to me, it wasn't all that bearish, but, the market, it looks like it's choosing its um, you know, favorite pony to speak with the soybean number. The soybean stocks number at 796 doesn't surprise me either. We do a nationwide conference call every Thursday. Your group is part of one. When we went basically from west to east and asked everybody what, the, what their June 1 stocks soybeans were versus a year ago, 
they're down dramatically. Mm. And this is also at a time when we have Brazilian soybeans coming into the eastern part of the United, southeast, eastern part of the United States. So I guess the market just said, hey, this is tight enough for beans. We have a longer uh, growing season that we have to live through. And they just, they came after it today. Going into this report, Luke, the funds were net long 7,000 contracts of corn. That's nothing. They're either long, when they're record long, they're 420. When they're record short, they're 250 short. They were long about 51 soybean, 51,000 contracts of soybeans going in and about equal meal and about half the, uh, of that in bean oil. So initially when the market came out, corn was higher because soybeans were up 80 cents. So what was interesting today is I didn't see a whole lot of producer selling of old or new crop um, in the country from our fellow co-ops. When I look at where we, you know, I can't remember the last time I've seen beans up 74 cents. So the stocks number is interesting there. It puts a lot of pressure on the market for the U.S. to produce its crop. And it puts less pressure on the corn number because we've got a much larger corn acreage base planted than the market anticipated, up about 2 million acres while beans were down 4 million from what the, the guess was. So that's substantial enough to really put a lot of pressure on U.S. bean production. You got to remember, the largest consumer of soybeans in the world is China. They get 70% of it out of South America. They're bean crushed and the other 30% from us, and they're wide open going forward. And so um, there's a lot of dynamics that are going to be at play here as we go forward. And this weather has to verify and play out. But I'm still scratching my head about the spread between picking up 2 million more corn acres and the effect of the balance sheet versus losing 4 million uh, acres from the original on soybeans. I don't know how we can make that up. So the market decided to put some premium into the flat price of soybeans today and, and take some premium out of the corn market. Yeah, so I have a question on that, Eddie, and I think some early feedback from producers just as we've been talking and even in the office making the rounds with, uh, you know, the coworkers today. I mean, you're just so divergent. You mentioned it in what, what we got for acreage information today. Can we see the price of soybeans just totally decouple from the price of corn? I mean, on its face value today with the data, you know, you crunch the balance sheet numbers and come up with a carryout projection for new crop beans. I mean, it's pretty interesting, even if you cut some demand, which we'd probably expect them to do. Well, you always get your highest bean carryout right now. And we tend to overshoot the runway as far as demand goes. And we still have another hemisphere of production to live through. Let's just right, say right. that South America would have a, an issue. Maybe they, they maybe they didn't want to plant the beans. Maybe they want to hold on to the beans. Whatever. We we can't play around with a ten percent shift anymore when seventy percent of it is coming out of, of Brazil and Argentina, and you're that by hemispheric dependent. So you're right. I don't know how corn can decouple from here. The first thing that this makes me think of right now 
when I look at the price of December corn below $5 and we're, we're just barely pollinating and we still have to deal with less than ideal growing conditions. And I do suspect that Monday's not gonna be a necessarily uptick in good to excellent conditions. It, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at what are the things that we think about as, as co-ops, as merchandisers. Right now, the cheapest thing to carry next year is corn. When you look at your interest factor against a 494, this is today's close, 494 and three quarter close with your basis, man, I and, and with the amount of space that's available going in, I think we could put the corn crop away and figure out a way to export the beans as much as possible. There could be a win-win in here at some point, but you know, the only state that didn't increase their corn acreage was Nebraska. They were the ones that said, hey, we're going to stick to our rotation. We're not going to monkey around with what we do. We want to see some moisture. And so, you know, they didn't. But the second largest increase in corn acreage to Illinois with 500,000 more acres was Texas at 450,000 more acres. I don't know if you guys watch the Weather Channel. That's kind of my favorite channel as a commodity broker, but I don't think that corn's going to make much of anything after the three weeks of 100 degree temps. So, you know, that's something that we'll have to watch as we go forward. Yeah, you're getting into the, you know, the acreage side, and I guess just cover it for the listeners. But I mean, this was the big shocker today, and you've, you've, uh, indicated that Eddie, but yeah, corn acres at 94 million, 94.1. And you know, that's a couple million acres larger than where we were at the end of March. And then soybeans are the flip side of that 4 million acres less than where we were in March, 83.5. And so just a total shocker, you total those two numbers up and you're still kind of under that 180 million bushel or 80 million acre threshold rather, uh, which is kind of the magic number between those two crops. But you just totally divergent in terms of what those numbers do to the balance sheet for each of the respective crops. It's just hard to wrap your mind around it. It's hard uh, to wrap your mind around it. It's easy to react negatively to corn as and, and it's justifiably pertinent to have a bullish attitude towards um, the soybean side of the market, not only from the balance sheet in the U.S., but just the way we have to continue to go back and forth between North and Southern Hemisphere and grow a crop. And the fact that the Chinese on their new crop, this is the lowest soybean uh, purchases they've had for this time of year. And so they are the ones that are going to be wide open going forward. And actually, we did a little bit of business with the Chinese last night off the PNW, which favors execution out of the Dakotas and Nebraska, your membership base. But it was just a couple of cargos, and they are wide open for October, November, December. And that should be one of the things that this the cash markets are going to focus on going forward is, you know, the market's probably not going to give us a big carry. It's a very expensive crop to pay interest tabs on every month. And so it should go at harvest and leave more than ample storage for the corn crop that we should end up with. But we're, you know, we're still scratching our heads about the, the acres. They're just, 
you know, it's just a, such a big swing. It's been a long time since I've seen soybeans up 74 and corn down 35. I yeah. Don't even, I don't even know if that's ever happened. That's super wild. And, you know, you just look through the state by state numbers. How much of this, Eddie, I mean, just if we're going to try to think of it logically, yeah. you know, how much of it is the fact that we just really didn't see a lot of prevent plant this spring? You know, we, we had all the snow in the Dakotas in April. And, um, you know, you look at the North Dakota, 150,000 more acres than what they talked about in March. And that's versus, where we were supposed to not be able to plant. Yeah. Over last year, they planted almost 1 million more corn acres, 2.95 million last year, 3.9 this year. So big increase in North Dakota. I would agree with your statement on the uh, preventative planted acres. It just didn't show up. And I, you know what? I'm not so sure we just didn't have the right, you know, spring weather to melt it off. We didn't really have a whole lot of flooding like you would have expected in in the Missouri River or the Red River going the other way. So, um, and actually they were, Guys we've been uh, networking with have been complaining about how um, dry it was for the spring wheat crop up in the in North Dakota. And, and, and we're kind of wondering, OK, <laughs> what kind of yield are we going to get on spring wheat after we've, you know, already tightened up the um, quality balance sheet and hard red winter wheat? by taking stocks down and we're in the middle of harvest there as well. So there is just a, a lot of twists and turn in this thing. Um, I, I guess one for sure thing that didn't happen is Randy was looking at the implied Q3 yellow corn feed and residual and for corn, and it was up 990 million bushels or 16%. We know that we didn't feed one bushel of wheat in hard red wheat corn country. And you know, this was a this was a year when we were extraordinarily tight down into the southern plains and have been importing Nebraska corn, Illinois corn, Missouri corn, South Dakota corn, just to keep the animals that we have down there on feed in the game. So not to jump around a lot on you, but that that implied Q3 yellow corn feed residual at 990 million bushels up 16% over last year is huge, but it's pales in comparison to finding the uh, acres that they, they came up with today. Yeah. Um, I'm just more on some, just to add some color to the regional changes, North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, you throw those three States together, 1.8 million acres uh, year over year change in corn acres, pretty large. Uh, you throw Illinois. Large. Yeah. Illinois and Iowa together and you know, you get another, uh, 1.2 million out of those two states. So no, Illinois, Illinois was the largest increase in corn acres in the main belt that I was looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and conversely, Luke, Illinois dropped there. And, and this doesn't make sense to what we were hearing with our boots on the ground. They dropped their soybean acreage, 800,000 acres. Iowa was 400,000. You know, these are big, these are one and two. Kansas dropped theirs 350,000 acres. I mean, that's almost like their whole crop, you know. Uh, Missouri was down 400, um, and North Dakota was down your 900, but that went to their corn acres you'd mentioned in the uh, uh, previous comments. So the, the, the amount of, 
of the, the soybean acres that were shed in the main belt is it's kind of a shock and awe to me. What are the yield implications for something like that? Uh, you know that we're we're not going to know that until we really get into it. But um, you know we were all worried about the high cost of uh, inputs for the corn producer in the United States. But when it was all said and done, it looks like you know, the value had uh, slipped enough uh, year on year. And after the first of the year for the guy that wasn't booked, um, that he was able to, you know, buy it and utilize it in a positive uh, input uh, piece for his uh, business. I mean, it just, it, it, it has to be something like that, that we just kept coming down and down in value. Remember how we were, oh, we're not going to have enough. And Russia and Ukraine and the mess that we were there. And it doesn't sound like anybody had any trouble at the value it was at a better value later than it well, was about where it was in the fall when we got to the, the guy that needed to make his decision um, about inputs in the spring. So I, I think that might be a big part of it. Um, but you guys are better experts about um, input costs than I am. Yeah. It, so it was, you know, and you can see it, you can see it at just a big shift, you know, away from soybean acres and into corn. Um, you know, we saw the big winter wheat acreage increase last fall, or at least the intentions last year. Um, the other one that we haven't mentioned uh, on principal crops anyway is is cotton. And year over year down 2.6. Um, does that, is there any, is there any uh, thought around cotton acres and maybe how that contributed to uh, today's corn surprise. I guess we could go look at the Delta state by state. I think, you, I think the one you want to look at just to take the strong directional from look at, we, we planted less cotton. Texas is cotton. Texas planted the second most acres to corn. And also if you look at the cotton price year on year, it got slammed. And so they were looking at their returns like they should be. Um, and they went to corn. It looks like they decided a, a, the bulk of that directional went to corn. So, um, and I would just, I, I don't have the wheat acres in front of me if Texas went to more wheat, but that might be part of it as well. But we did see, I mean, that's a big chunk to lose. Um, and I think it was primarily corn, but we're not having a great growing season south of I-40. I don't care what, I mean, it's just been just horrible weather as far as water and, and heat and whatnot goes. So, you know, that could, that could correct itself a little bit in the, um, what gets actually harvested when this crop comes around down in the Southern Plains. But I think, yeah, we did there. You, you do, it's, it's easy to, to say corn or cotton to corn with a 25% of it coming from Texas alone. Now, if you have the Delta numbers in, does it show the same thing? Because they were putting corn in very early this year down there, Luke. And it looked like that trend was starting to go that way for corn. Yeah, I mean, you know, not as big of players down there, of course. But, you know, you've got like Louisiana, you know, they're they're up 130,000 corn acres, which that doesn't sound like a lot, but in percentage terms, that's a pretty big deal uh, down there, at least anyway, yeah. in terms of what would they agree were doing with you there. the year yes, prior. So, 
you got Louisiana that was up that much. You go Arkansas, you know, they were up another 180,000 uh, there as well. Uh, Alabama, 60,000. So, you know, some dinks and dunks, but it adds up to, you know, by the time you add all those states half together. Of your directional switch. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, half a million um, I think acres. That's a very good observation on your part. I, I just, I know that the Texan guy wasn't um, embracing the cotton price for the last 12 months because it's been just sliding, sliding, sliding. And, um, and now they're, you know, I don't, I don't know if they wish they would have planted cotton. I still think, well, and also think about this. When they decided to uh, plant their corn crop, we weren't looking at values close to this. It was a lot higher. March was probably when we did our last um, grain, uh, CBA grain discussion, we were, th I was thinking that we had a chance to go up and fill some of these gaps from the prior year, which would have put us in new crop around 725. And I think the, the, the producer planted for uh, the expectation that the, the, the price of corn would be higher than where it is. Um, but we haven't had the benefit of any new crop corn or soybean export sales. We're on the low end of the totem pole. Um, but, you know, one thing that this uh, flat price of corn does do down here, it gets us into the export game maybe before the first of the year, um, maybe no October, November, when it wasn't even a possibility because of the cheap South American corn. Um, and we got to kind of watch that. We still have to watch Ukraine and see what physically is going to be possible there. Although for the last 18 months, they've been able to move quite a bit of exports out of there, whether it's wheat, um, whether it's maize. Um, so, but we're not out of the woods with all the war jargon that's kind of confused a lot of people either. Certainly. What, what are your thoughts, Eddie, on, I mean, you're, you're talking about exports, but thinking about where some of these corn acres are, I mean, we got a huge increase in South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota, Illinois, Iowa, thinking about our export program, at least today, probably, it's struggling. It's struggling. And you got a big crop in South America with their safrina crop coming off right now. What are the, what are the regional maybe basis implications? You know, if you're a farmer, um, you know, and you're going to have a bunch of corn in these places, what all of our, all of a lot of what we're hearing is, you know, we, our producer base is thinking that we're going to have these massive premiums, 50, 60, 70, a dollar over, like we saw this past year with this 23 crop, uh, this 22 crop, excuse me, that that's just going to roll forward and it's going to continue. Uh, Nebraska's dry. Northwest Iowa's dry. You know, we're just going to see these big premiums roll forward. What, what would you say to that? Okay. Well, so as it relates to corn in the Western Corn Belt, where we did pick up, you know, a chunk of acreage, I'm going to already kind of put a yellow mark on Texas because I don't think that's possible that we're going to pull out of the nosedive in condition. Missouri, a 200,000 extra acres, they today told me we are not going to buy any more grain until we get some rain. So they're going to need a, they're going to need a rain too. Um, now that doesn't mean we're going to have big gigantic premiums, but remember this past year, Luke 22 was a bust in uh, Kansas, a uh, smaller Nebraska crop smaller Western Iowa crop. It was a um, not a smaller Missouri crop, but their exportable surplus 
into the domestic market was smaller year on year. And we had to basically backfill a 350 million to 400 million bushel hole called Colorado, Western Kansas, the Panhandle of Texas, uh, Panhandle of Oklahoma, and the market did its job. And so we've all but flushed a lot of the interior stocks out. Now, it's 106 in Kansas yesterday. They're pollinating. Are we going to go through the same thing? I don't know, but it's less than ideal. But here's one thing. The first thing I learned 35 years ago when I got into the merchandising grain, I was in Hutchinson, Kansas. It was wheat and sorghum. But my boss told me, don't underestimate that space equals demand. Because this year it, it happened and we, we, the market merchandised efficiently through to the deficit areas without any export program to really brag about. So um, our conditions on, uh, from a week to week are going to be very, very crucial. The, the crop that we rated last week was at a 30 plus year low. Randy has a algorithm that he uses that I'm not even allowed to really <laughs> share or because it's, it's got some proprietary value to it, but his, his yield right now is not anywhere near what the government's talking about. So if you start cutting off some of these edges, you know, six versus trend or whatever they're using for their yield and you, and you start losing production in the South where we decided to opt out of cotton for corn, it might be kind of difficult to really springboard off of, you know, and it's early yet, but it might be difficult to springboard off of thinking that we're just going to have all this excess corn around. I like the profitability going forward of the domestic markets, especially the ethanol one. I've never seen where you could lock in 15, 20 cents net profit in Q1 which is Jan, Feb, March, this far out before. So as long as we can keep this economy chugging along um, and, they, and they keep trying to choke it off with higher interest rates, I know I'm moving around a little bit, but they all, they all play a part in the overall demand piece because the U.S. consumer is 67% of GDP. If we continue to be a strong consumer, even though we've choked, tried to choke off um, wage inflation with higher interest rates, what happens when they loosen it up a little bit here? It's going to be interesting, I think. So I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not bearish basis until on corn until we get that last bushel of space full. Then you can talk about we got to do this, we got to do that. But I think we're already past, you know, the best yield potential we could have had already. And now it's about what will we end up with, um, especially in Illinois. That was the lowest rated crop we've had in a while. And that was the crop that bailed out the cattle guy, the hog guy, and the poultry guy in the Southwest this year. So I, I could be friendly basis. I don't, uh, I don't have a problem with that, especially when you whack the price of corn down this low. So just kind of my thoughts there, um, Luke. Okay. Uh, same discussion on on uh, soybeans. Uh, you mentioned it a little bit earlier that there's a pretty big book of open 
uh, Chinese demand they need to purchase going forward. Uh, I mean, we've been hearing, aren't we going to see the South American, you know, that a large crop, big tail, it's going to cut into our OND or Ocnov uh, business out think, of the U.S. I think for we have a really good shot at doing, um, well, I mean, first of all, the sow numbers in China are a little soft right now. Um, the overall economic um, vibe there is a little dampened because they they went a little too long policing their uh, COVID situation. And now they're trying to, um, you know, they're cutting the interest rates and the value of the uh, Chinese currency has dropped um, while the U.S. is in a different mode, raising interest rates, dollar has been strengthening as well as the um, European currency. So, um, but listen, they, they are so uncovered for this time of year. I, we're, not, we're not competing at October, November, December with Brazil. We won't be doing that. Now you get into February, that's a different deal. But we haven't even begun to plant down there. So we got a long ways to go. And they got to have a great growing season because the world has become by hemispheric dependent with 70% of their eggs in South America. So before I count those chicks, I, we got to get it in. We've got to make sure we've got great growing conditions. And we're not even out of the woods yet for our bean crops. So um, we, we should expect, and, and where they're going to buy this, which is really good um, for the guys that have planted the soybean crop, is the PNW. We already started, we saw some demand, uh, basically CNF China at about 220 over the November. It fobs back to the PNW and the 145 over range. That's a little less than where we were last year. We were in the 230 over range and could fob it back at about 40 to 50 cents above the domestic processing values at harvest. But I think we're going to get the benefit of cheaper freight this fall when we typically have to pay a big premium because we'll, we should be able to stick these crops away and then some. And if we don't have to move much, we could be instead of paying six, seven hundred over for rail freight in October, November, we might be closer to even money or 100 to 200 bucks a car. That'll go a far way to fob back to um, South Dakota, North Dakota and Nebraska at a much better, uh, at a better value than where it is today. So I'm, 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 I'm probably more friendly corn basis uh, because I, you know, we're, if, if we want to bloat the balance sheet with more acres, we're going to have to dial some more carry into these board spreads. And at this flat price level, cheap prices are the best here for cheap price, low prices. So I'm, I'm more bullish on the, the corn uh, basis potential, but I'm not not friendly soybean basis because I think we've got the Chinese for the first 90 days. Okay. Okay. Good thoughts, Eddie. Appreciate that. Um, put your farmer marketing hat on for a second. You are now Eddie Connor LLC farming in rural Kansas, rural Nebraska. No, I'm okay. in Nebraska, bro. Nebraska. Okay. You're irrigating yeah, I, just corn wanna, I just like Nebraska. <laughs> Okay, so what's the what's the scenario? What am I Our, thinking about? Farmer Eddie, um, thoughts on what what we can do for the farmer here? You know, if you're a producer that's maybe got some old crop grain left, you know, we just saw the bean market get excited. Corn's the 
the flip side of that coin, what are we doing with old crop here? Okay, so what we've got, so if you want to compare where you stand, we have the U.S. producer 89% sold, and this is an estimation, okay? We have them um, 89% sold on his old crop corn, and he's still inside a 10% on his new crop corn sold. On his beans, he's pushing 95%, 94, 95% on his old crop. So if you have some old crop beans left, I would definitely take advantage of today's 75 cent rally. Um, I know that there's some OTC structure products out there that are available, but I think for the balance of an old crop, I would just be a straight cash seller uh, on any, and remember, we didn't have a full audience today because the Europeans typically don't hang around for, it's not a full day. I mean, we just, we had two hours to, you know, uh, tidy up risks today and by the you know Europeans are gone you know not there for a full day of trade I would look at selling the the rest of my old crop beans um, and I think we already shot through a lot of the um, board triggers for new crop today but it came too quickly and the report was so shock and awe like not only on the stocks but on the um, but but on the uh, acreage that I think you bought a little time so you can watch your crop your bean crop progress so that we don't have to worry about coming up on the short end of our marketing stick. But I would be a seller of old crop today. I would be leaning into some new crop um, because we you know we know we're going to get some new crop business. We want to be in sync with that market. Um, now, the domestic market is going to be there just like it was this year, too. Those margins are tremendous. Um, the green wave government theory is not over with. We've got a lot of demand coming up um, where the basis can do some of the work, even at these high uh, flat price levels for you. So I think we wait two weeks on our new crop, see how the weather plays out. And then we can decide if we want to go ahead and start, you know, getting our uh, uh, new crops sold maybe up to 15, 20% and then wait and we'll see. Okay. And on the corn side of it, man, I hate selling corn down here. I would have a hard time doing it. I think the basis does have a chance to rebound for old crop. Let's use that to our advantage to try and offset a little of the, um, board depreciation today. I mean, think about this, Luke. In the last two weeks, we rallied corn a dollar and we took corn down a dollar. Somebody got caught being short, not well positioned, thinking that the world was coming to an end because China isn't buying anything from us. And we saw some premium weakness because the market did its job buying rail back from the, uh, the covered cattle guy and selling the ethanol market. Well, here's a good example of what happened today. We got group three, which is a major Nebraska fundamental basis. It was 60 over Friday, the SEP. Today it traded 75 over. So we're starting to see some of that come back. We have a fair amount of August and September ethanol demand for corn that still needs to buy 70 
60%, 50% of their needs. Let's use the basis appreciation that we're going to get because they took it from us on the futures and we've got open domestic demand to fill. Let's get that when that basis starts popping up closer to 80 delivered ethanol, maybe actually not 80. We're going to get when we get closer to uh, 95 to 100 over the set. Let's go ahead and let some of that old crop corn go. Let's see how it pollinates. And then, you know, we'll we'll wait and see if we can get the flat price to follow premiums that typically lead spreads and spreads lead flat price. I don't want to jump on the knife here on corn. I'm a little bit mystified by the dramatic price action that we've lived through. It tells me the market is unsure. It doesn't know what it wants to do. But as long as you have people that are profitably touching corn in the cattle market, in the broiler market, um, in the ethanol market, and heck, down at these levels, we might start exporting some corn. We'll have to watch for that. We'll make sure that your group has the um, export differentials between um, the other, the haves and have nots. But I want to use the uh, old crop uh, basis play to uh, sell the rest of my corn, and then we'll wait and see what happens with flat rice. And we're going to be able to store this one a lot cheaper at this multiple than we were a year ago. Yeah, again, yeah. remember, we got a lot of demand to fill. And if Kansas and Missouri burn up again, first place they come, Nebraska and Western Iowa. And so you guys will be in a good spot for that uh, potential if it develops. I didn't yeah, need to yeah. ramble on too much, but. Yeah, well, you mentioned, uh, you know, you mentioned carries coming back into this market, you know, as commodities get cheaper and uh Corn definitely going to get stored over beans with the divergence in prices, but I'm looking at this December, July new crop corn spread. And so for our listeners, that's the price difference between December futures in Chicago and July of 24 corn futures. And so uh, that spread trades, you can see the price difference uh, tick by tick every day. And so at the peak of the rally last week, uh, July corn was only five cents more. July of 24 corn was only five cents more uh, than December of 23. Going home today, it's 21 cents more. And so that number's got to be big enough to incent and justify, you know, a commercial, the commercial system, really, uh, the grain handlers to want to put grain in a bin and, and store and carry it and allocate it across uh, the entire marketing year. So yeah, if grain gets cheap, we're certainly going to expect uh, some wider carries to continue to come into this thing. Right. The other thing, remember today was a very dynamic day. Today was last day of the month, was the last day of the quarter, its first notice day. And what did we see in corn and beans today on the uh, for first notice or, you know, in, uh, delivery intentions? Zero. That tells us that the cash markets today, as they exist, are high enough above delivery that nobody needs to deliver it against futures. And that's on beans and corn. There was 45 wheat put out, I think, but that's no big deal. But that tells us that we still are under a very tight old crop scenario, which could breathe higher once again. And we want to make sure that your producer... Uh, customers take advantage of any of those basis gains that they could get in, um, well, flat price, you got it in beans, um, but it could be basis in corn that uh, comes right back. And then we'll see where we are in the delivery market. But that there were no soybean meal deliveries. 
Cargill stopped some of uh, the oil and they had been the, their receipts had been out on the street. It kind of gives you an inside peek at maybe that oil, that bean oil market coming back around. And then don't underestimate these new plants that are coming up uh, on the soy side. You know, they're, it's going to become part of your backyard marketing plan. So um, I think there's some positive things in here other than the 75 cent rally in, in, uh, uh, in soybeans today. And, the, and there's, there's still positive threads in this old crop corn market that we can take advantage of. It's not all's not lost with the, the amount of old crop corn and beans that we already have sold. It's what do we do now? How do we take advantage now as we go forward? So it's, a, it's good. It's all good. Good stuff. Uh, I appreciate your comments, Eddie. So looking ahead, uh, we've got the USDA update July 12th. They'll update the full balance sheets. They're going to use acres from today. Uh, they'll use the stocks report today to you know, tweak the feed and residual number on the corn balance sheet. Um, anything that we should be thinking about with that report just uh, less than two weeks away? You know, I'm just, I'm kind of cheating on you because I'm seeing what, what Rainy just uh, put out. Hold on, just. <laughs> oh, this is, this is coming. This is fresh. This is press. fresh off the press, bro. Hold, okay, so what do we got? Let me see if I can get this for you. The suspense is killing me here, Eddie. I know it's killing me because I'm an inept computer user in my old age. You know, I didn't get his new balance sheet yet, so maybe I, I spoke just a touch too soon. Hold on, I'm gonna look at one other thing, just in case he snuck it in on us. Let me see. You're listening in on a on a really great example of what it's like talking to Eddie Connor on the phone. You're getting you're getting stuff real time. Uh, it's fresh off the press. Great intel. Uh, well, most right of it you. was till we got to this point. So before <laughs> the end of the day, I will have brand new balance sheets to look at. But I mean, it's safe to assume, okay, that this bean balance sheet is not going to look like it's got a, I mean, and it's, we don't have one ounce of room for air, Luke. Not, not now, not till the, not till we uh, get to new crop. Um, and go through the whole marketing year next year because we don't know what happens in South America. We know that the world's largest consumer is uncovered. We know that the, one of the most profitable domestic segments, the soybean uh, uh, processor, is uncovered. Nobody's got anything bought out past July. Very little for August, Sep. So um, the balance sheet's going to look ominously tight for beans that works in favor for people that want to throw money at our market you know the the spec i said is only long about um 50 000 contracts of beans and about that in soybean meal and half of that in oil so they really if they want to commit to our market they could do some um more positive things from a flat price point of view and longer term Luke, we need to buy acres away from corn. And the only way you do that is if you pump up that flat price in futures. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to get that scenario to happen. 
Now, I don't have an estimate on the carryout on corn, but you can just do the math on a couple million more acres. And let's just say we luck into a 175, 176 yield. And I believe that's what Randy was kind of using with his algorithm. Um, yeah, that puts a little bit more trash on the bottom line. We had two five estimated by the government just, you know, off the subsequent reports. I don't know where we're going to be now, but I don't, <laughs> it's going to be interesting. I, hopefully I'll have a corn balance sheet number I can send you guys to have over the weekend. And I should have it before the end of the day, but I don't have the exact number there, but it's going to look more bloated. But after you've taken a dollar out of the price and we still have areas that are less than ideal and we're, what happens when we walk in here Monday and we don't get a better good to excellent and goes down even more because we flatten a bunch of corn, you know, that kind of stuff. And we, and you know, Missouri hasn't had a rain and you guys are still kind of dry up there too. So, I mean, I don't think it's game over just yet, but um, the, I don't, you know, the, function of the market is to buy bean acres. And if beans want to go back up to 16, 17 bucks, I have a hard time feeling like corn can't even muster up a, 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 a you know, a sophomore rally to six bucks. So but we'll have a little <laughs> bit more meat on the bone in front of us when I get my new balance sheets from Randy. All right. We're going to hold you to the sophomore rally in the corn. I think you gave everybody listening a glimmer of hope. And uh, plenty of excitement around what could happen in the bean market with the shocking surprise today with how much we cut the uh, bean acres year over year. Eddie, certainly appreciate your time, your thoughts, your expertise. Always appreciate it. Always entertaining. Uh, We'll do this again sometime in the not so distant future. All right. I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys at CVA and your customer producer base and all that you do for Nebraska. Have a great weekend and a good fourth. You bet. Thank you, Eddie. That's going to do it for episode number 43. Uh, We're going to be back in 12 days for the July S&D. Until then, stay safe. Thanks for listening to the CVA Grain Exchange. Stay up to date on all things CVA Grain by signing up for our grain emails at cvacoop.com slash grain or follow us on social media at Central Valley Ag on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next month, and until then, stay safe.